This was approved in a business meeting March 14, 2009. Okay. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Rashad. Can you guys join me in the third step prayer? God, for myself, to thee, to build with me, and to be with me as thou wilt. Lead me in the bond of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, a victory over them, may bear witness to those I would help, for thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's clap on that. Rashad, composer or reader. Can I be heard? All right. Thank you for asking me to speak. I appreciate it. Um, welcome. If you're new, or if you feel new, if you're counting days, uh, congratulations to the chip takers. That's pretty awesome. And uh, happy birthday. Um, last time I shared, Leslie told me not to use my notes, so I didn't take any notes. <laughs> I didn't take any notes, but I did. Uh, I do have some of the readings that I want to uh, maybe maybe mention. Um, but I'm shooting straight from the heart tonight. All right. So um, yeah, I'm a compulsive or reader. To qualify quickly, I um, I am of the grazing, binging, sugar addict, hundred pounder, um, eat for any reason variety of compulsive or reader. I have uh, been in these rooms for about four years now. I am also cross-addicted. For those that are on the podcast, I am also a person of color. Um, I do struggle with multiple addictions, and my app, I just looked at my app, apparently today is three, three years, seven months, and 22 days of imperfect abstinence from compulsive eating, compulsive food behaviors, uh, while working towards or maintaining my uh, a healthy body weight, so... To qualify, <laughs> what it was like. Uh, I came out like this. <laughs> I came out like this. Um, I, I, I'm of the belief that I came out a compulsive reader. My mom tells a story about Brett, me during the breastfeeding years, and apparently I was pretty aggressive during that time. <laughs> um, that, is, that is a true story. It's funny, but it's a true story. Apparently, I, uh, I liked food from a very early age. I liked it a lot. And uh, my story is that I was born into chaos. I was born into fear. I was born into a family of addiction. Uh, I was born into a family of compulsive overeating. Um, it was in and around me. I do believe this is like a part of my my bloodline. Um, that's just my story because I hear other things in these rooms. So I uh, I don't know I don't know that that makes me a compulsive reader. I don't like to focus on the why. Um, but for me, when I go home for family gathering, I see it all around me. Every single one of my family members. Um, what makes me a compulsive overeater is that when I put certain substances in my body, I have an abnormal reaction. I am one of the allergic types that's described in the big book. 
And when I get it, I can't stop with my own power. And I want more. And then I go into the spiral of shame and how I'm not going to do it again. And on Monday, I'm going to do things differently. On my birthday, I'm going to do it differently. On New Year's, I'm going to do it differently. Next month, I'm going to do it differently. That's that's my cycle. Um, I struggled with childhood obesity. Um, I remember I came home from the doctor one time, and it was like a big deal. You know, it was like a big deal. And at that point, I learned. I was probably around 10 or so, but at that point, it clicked for me that, like, something was wrong. And that's where, like, the restricting and all that stuff kind of kicked in. It was kind of put on me um, by my family and the diets and stuff. That's when it started. Um, my, you know, what it was like and, and like, what my childhood is like is I, I remember the good things that I remember are about food. And the painful things that I remember about me feeling lonely and me feeling shameful about my body, me um, me feeling weird about my food, and um, yeah, I mean that's just what that's my story. Like the embarrassing moments, uh, the presidential uh, fitness challenge, when they heard all the kids out, you know, and everybody's doing the pull-ups. Come on in. Hey. Um, you know, they heard all the kids. I was one of those big kids that couldn't do the pull-ups, that couldn't do the push-ups. I was one of those kids that did not want to take my shirt off when we were checking our backs for scoliosis. You know, that that's what my childhood was like. Around the time I was about 17, my mom put me on some sort of grapefruit and bacon diet. Those that are a little bit those are a little bit older know that diet. <laughs> I'm showing my age when I rec- when I reference that one. The kids don't talk about that. But uh, it was a thing. It, it really was a thing. Um, and then I took a personal fitness class that I had avoided for most of my, my high school career. And so when I took the class, I was in the class with a bunch of sophomores as a senior. And so my only real option was to, like, do the workouts. And so between that diet and those workouts, I lost a bunch of weight in my senior year of high school. And people treated me differently. The, the crew of guys that I ran around with, the jock player types, I felt like one of them. I had sex for the first time. I had my first girlfriend. Um, I got all of that external validation that I wanted, that I thought I wanted or whatnot. And um, that's important because I spent the most of my adult life chasing that feeling that I had when I lost all that weight in high school. Um, I was never really a great dieter. I could go for about 30 days, and I would drop a lot of weight really quickly. My body responds very quickly to stimuli, good or bad. And um, so I I did the dieting thing for a while, and um, it was always some new diet. I had a binge buddy and a diet buddy. (laughs) (laughs) uh, And they're the same guy. They're the same guy. Same guy, and um, I I'm from LA. I was I'm from South Central LA. I, I kind of grew up in Westchester and Inglewood, and then I moved out to the suburbs of Atlanta um, when I was around 11. I got a, a academic scholarship, so I stayed in Atlanta for school, and then I kind of moved back. But uh, in the South, my binge buddy and I would like to go to a place called Ryan's Steakhouse or uh, other people. There's other ones called like Golden Corral. The point is, is that it was an all-you-can-eat buffet. And man, did we like to get high and hit the buffet. Oh, my God. 
And uh, that feeling of just being like stuffed, it was just like a, it was just like a way of life. Um, and I just always remember like he um, he came from a lot of money, and um, I just remember whatever expensive diet trick that he was trying, it was like I was a part of it. He and I were like brothers. And uh, I, the one that I remember that was pretty crazy was some, I'm, I'm not going to name it, but uh, it was like some sort of thing where you would take this, like, these drops, and uh, the diet was like a very restrictive, like you would, you would do like three or 400 calories a, uh, a day or something crazy like that, and it was like, but the drops are the thing that made the difference, right? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too good at that diet. <laughs> I made it about two hours. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wasn't great at dieting. I wasn't great at dieting. I did this fast thing, and, and uh, this fast thing, I lost 30 pounds in like 20 days. And I remember continuously like trying to do that fast, and then like the next time it was like I could only get two weeks, then I could only get a week, and then I could only get like a day, and then it was like this, this fast thing doesn't work for me. And um, I kind of gave up. I kind of gave up on dieting, and, um, you know, I, I started to tell myself that, uh, you know, if I found a girl that liked me as I was, then it didn't really matter, right? If I found the girl, then it was okay. If, um, if I got my body right, then I could get the girl, and if I got the money, then, then I could somehow pay for both. You know, that's the kind of attitude that I live by, and... Um, some of those things started to happen. I got the girl. I got the. I got a certain number on my W two, but my life didn't get bigger. You know, I dived deeper into my uh, into my addictions, and, and instead of uh, binging at the Wendy's, I would binge at Houston's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the money did. The money didn't fix me. The girl didn't fix me, and uh, my life just eventually got very, very small. And, um, you know, what I remember about that time period is just like not, is just being too fat to show up for life. I was too fat to go buy clothes because that was an embarrassing, painful situation. I was too fat to go hang out with friends because I couldn't find anything to wear. I was too fat to break up with my girlfriend that I wasn't interested in because I was going to be alone. I was too fat to quit the job that I hated because nobody was going to hire me. Um... And my solution to that discomfort and that pain was to eat more. So my solution is Papa John's, Pepsi, Froyo, biscuits, things of that nature. And when I put those things in my body, it's okay. For a moment, life is okay. Um, and then when I come down off my food high, I look at myself in the mirror and I, like, don't want to live anymore. That is my story. What happened was is that I got, um, I kind of blew my life up a little bit. And um, I kind of blew my life up a little bit. I, um, I was just tired, you know. I, was, I, didn't, I, I learned about suicide in these rooms and how there's stages of it and... Um, I think I was at the stages uh, that I guess we call ideation. You know, I would think about it, and um, but I never went to planning it. Like seeing my family respond to that situation kind of like scared me a little bit, and um, 
I had enough wherewithal to know that like that would like hurt a lot of people in my life, so that wasn't an option for me. But I just like didn't have a life worth living. You know, I wasn't enjoying myself, and um, my solution was to like dump the girl, quit or the job, transfer from the job or something like that. Um, get rid of the apartment that I was in. Just I, I just self sabotaged. I just took a pin out of the grenade and just kind of blew up my life. And when it was all said and done, I woke up on my grandmother's couch in South Central L.A. Um, as a 30-something-year-old man. And that was, like, my bottom. That was my, my big bottom. Um, there were more bottoms. But that was my big bottom because I was making a certain amount of money. I had went to school and got an academic scholarship and graduated. Um, I was doing better financially. All, all the things that supposedly that you want coming from my family, they were the boxes were checked, and so it was a uh, it was a little uh, disheartening to have to go back to Grandma's house and wake up on her couch. And um, I called Loveline. My uh, my name is Sam in LA. <laughs> And uh, I got on the line with uh, with a famous doctor, and he was uh, kind of rude. But uh, I was like, "Yo, I got issues with this and that and this." He was, was like, "It's all the same. It's all the same stuff. You know, it's all the same stuff. You have to go treat all of that." And I was like, "No." <laughs> I was like, "That wasn't the answer for me. I uh, I didn't want to treat everything. I didn't. That to me was unfathomable. Like, how do I just stop everything?" Um, and he said, well, maybe if you quit smoking the pot, then you'll stop eating. And so I was like, all right, <laughs> I can do that, maybe. I can try that. And so um, I got sober. I found a program, that um, a 12-step program that's uh, for marijuana addiction. And, um, and I supplemented that with Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I got sober. And when I got sober and started going through the process of the steps, I got feelings and emotions. And when I got those feelings and emotions, my sponsor, who I still rock with today, told me to go get some ice cream. He told me to go get some chocolate. He told me to go get some cake. Everything's going to be all right. So I went and got a lot of cake. I got a lot of chocolate. I got a lot of ice cream. I got a lot of bagels. And, uh, yeah, I rolled into that program at 300 pounds, and I gained another 30 really quickly. Um, and what became very clear to me through the process is that I didn't feel, I didn't feel sober. You know, I didn't, feel, I didn't have the sobriety. You know, there's a, th a saying in those rooms where it's like, I've been abstaining from whatever substance, you know, for X amount of years, but I've been sober for about... How long is since the minute the the meeting has started? You know, I've been sober for about ten minutes, and that's how it felt. I didn't feel clean. I didn't feel sober. You know, and it became very clear to me that I was using food like I was using drugs, and so I started complaining about it. I started talking about it in the meetings, and I started complaining to my sponsor about it. And eventually, he was like, "You know, you have to focus on whatever's going to kill you the quickest." Fast forward, I went to the doctor. They rang all the bells. You're at risk for heart disease. You're classified as morbidly obese. You're now pre-diabetic. You, uh, there's something wrong with your blood. It's indicative of sleep apnea. They, something's got to change. They, they rang the alarms, 
And then it became obvious to me that I was killing myself with food. So I found my way to Overeaters Anonymous, and I, uh, I started going to meetings on the west side in Santa Monica. And um, on that side of town, there's a lot of, uh, as opposed to the 100-pounder variety, um, there's a lot of bulimics, there's a lot of anorexics, there's a lot of exercise, um, exor- exercise bulimia, um, and a lot of like big, big binging. And none of those were my story in particular. And so I sat around for a while, focusing on all the differences and um, looking for a sponsor and kind of salty that I couldn't find a sponsor. You guys told me to find what I was looking for. And so I was looking for a 100-pounder, a black male (laughs) that looked like The Rock. (laughs) And uh, I didn't find that guy. I never found that guy. Um... But I heard a guy speaking once, and um, what I realized is that I wanted something a little bit more than the vanity. I wanted the serenity. I wanted the sanity. I wanted the, the, um, the love and the affection and the calm that he had. You know, when somebody's working this program, the recovery, you can see the glow. When somebody's working it, you can see the glow. And he had that, and I wanted what he had. His name is Jeffrey, and um, I asked Jeffrey to be my sponsor. I still rock with him today. And um, I met with Jeffrey for the first time, and uh, I was talk. I said uh, I met with Jeffrey Jeffrey for the first time over at uh, Jocelyn Park, and I said, "Hey, I don't do ten thousand calorie binges. I'm not anorexic. I don't throw up my food, and I'm not exercise bulimic. But damn, that sounds exciting. I wish I could be exercise bulimic." <laughs> um, and uh, he let me finish, and then he lovingly said, "Rashad, you're the size that you are for a reason." It's very clear that your body is getting more food than it needs. That day I went on a tear. <laughs> it started at a bagel shop on Wilshire, and it ended at the Popeye's Chicken and Biscuits in South Central. <laughs> and uh, it was late. It was, is, uh, it was nasty. And if anybody knows that area, you don't really hang out in the streets at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know? So there was prostitutes. There was gang members. There was rats. There was roaches. There was homeless people. And there were crackheads. And as my brother taught me once, I was one of those crackheads. My crack was those buttered biscuits from Popeye. And I couldn't even get home. I had to pull over. And I lived like three, at the time, I lived like three blocks from there. But I couldn't even make it home. I had to pull over one by one eating those biscuits. And I had about four of them because a half dozen would have been too much. (laughs) So I'm sitting there eating them one one after another and I'm not hungry. But I have to eat these biscuits. And so with a head full of program and a belly full of that white flour, I had my moment. And I could no longer deny that I was powerless over food and that my life was clearly unmanageable. In that moment, I conceded to my innermost self that I am an alcoholic with food. And I woke up the next day and I was abstinent. And I have to remember that. I have to say that. Because today, I can forget about that moment and start to look at things that look compulsive in my life now and, then, and start to want to formulate ways to manipulate and control the situation. And, and for me... The abstinence was a gift from God. I did not do anything to get myself abstinent. The only thing I did was I kept coming back to Overeaters Anonymous. 
um, I started working the steps again in uh, OA, and um, it was transformative. It was transformative. It was my second time around through the steps, and so it was like a little bit of a deeper dive, and um, the experience was just like very transformative. Every every one of the steps, I, um, I, I didn't rush through them the second time around, and uh, it turned out that Wherever I was in life, that's what step that I needed to take. And, um, you know, what it's like, well, some examples of that are like around step three. I uh, got fired from a job, started a new job that I hated, quit that job, and found a much better job. <laughs> and I was right around step three at the time. And what became very obvious to me is that God could work his magic in my life around food, drugs, body. Thank you. Um, and I also had to turn over my career to my higher power at that time. And I did. And it worked out great. Everything that I had turned over turns out. And um, I took a deeper dive on step four this time around. And I was like, I don't have any resentments. And uh, I didn't really... The resentment thing... Um, I kind of got addressed my first time around. The, the pivotal fourth step issue, fourth fifth step for me was uh, letting go of the resentment for my dad. And if I can, I, I spewed all these reasons why my dad was this and that. And my sponsor says, well, whatever, what if whatever happened between your mom and your dad before you were born is none of your business? And what if your part is hanging on to, the, hanging on to this for the better part of 30 years? Oof. <laughs> Um, if I can let go of my personal sad black American dad story, then I can let go of resentment for just about anything. But the second time around in this program, what really came up for me was fear, you know, and, um, doing my fifth step around this program in this program helped me really address fear. And it's still something that I have to address, you know, it's still something I have to work through. Um, fast forwarding to step nine. In this program, I finally got the courage to do my financial amends the second time around, doing my nine step here. And, man, it was such a relief. I had so much fear. I sat on my nine step for a year in this program or more. And when I finally just started doing them, the relief, the, like, the, the physiological boulder that was sitting on my shoulders was removed. And I feel so much lighter you know, it's it, that process and the promises that come around step 10 as a result of doing your amends, you doing your amends is true and it's palpable and you can feel it. It's real. It's tangible. So if you're sitting on your ninth step, just do it. Just just do it. There's nothing more to it. Um, but we're all here to hold your hand as you go through that process. And... Um, Yeah, I'm on step 12 right now, and there's some really good stuff that I want to reference. But what I want to say is um, about today and, and, you know, what's it like now is that my life is, is um, life is hard. Living life on life's terms is hard. And thank God for all those anorexics and bulimics and those, uh, and those exercise bulimics because they loved on me until I learned to love on myself. And I needed that. I needed uh, those phone calls as a newcomer, 
And I needed to hear those girls in those rooms talking about real stuff that I connected with. Um, because it helped level set things. It helped bring in a little bit of humility. It helped me take certain um, people that looked a certain way on the outside. It helped me take them off that pedestal. And um, in OA, I'm, I'm one of many. I'm one of many. And uh, one of those uh, ladies, when I was going through my job transition, and I was, I was kind of sharing with her about it on an outreach call, and she said, well, here we go. And I was like, what do you mean? Here we go, you know, because that could be like negative depending on how you say it, right? No, she was like, no, here, you know, we will get through this. It's a we program. So the only thing I've done really perfectly in these program in this program is um, I've kept coming back, and um, I've I've been honest, you know, I've been honest with every single food item that's been in my mouth. And what really helps me with recovery wherever I'm at is just sharing in the rooms. Like that's where it starts. The, the sharing and getting honest in the rooms is like starts to unravel whatever I'm trying to like figure out on my own. And um, and then that usually propels me into like doing the real work to get through it, which is like in the steps. And uh, the meetings definitely help me feel better and the steps help me get better. You know, that is the truth. And um, let me see what I wanted to say about this uh, step 12 where I'm at. Um, one of the lines that really stood out to me, and it's, it's indicative of where I'm at right now, is um, if we should again crave more food than we need, we know we will find relief in the steps instead of in compulsive eating. And that is, I just went through that. And again, like right where I'm at in the steps is like really, that's where I needed to be. That's the thing I needed to read. But um, I, I just got into this phase where I was eating more yellow light foods. I was kind of living in my yellow light foods. And I went through the whole gamut of, of trying to figure that out and, um, and was working with a nutrition. I went to my sponsor and I'm asking him about the food. He suggested that I went and get outside help. And I went and got a nutritionist and... Um, we started doing some weighing and measuring, and, and that didn't work for me. That much focus on my food does not make me feel good. It doesn't, weighing and measuring doesn't work. But it was very good for me to be aware of how much I'm putting into my body. But it was funny, it kind of all circled back around to like, oh, there's a spiritual, there's a spiritual malady. And the solution is not by minimizing my starch intake. The solution is connecting to something bigger than myself and asking God to step in. And um, lately, you know, what, what happened in that process, it was like it propelled me just to like the solution is in OA, the solution is in the steps. And I got back to my step work. And whatever that was has been relieved. And it's not, I'm back to the point where it's not about what am I going to do different, like what am I going to not do, you know, what am I going to put down? It's like, what am I willing to do? Am I willing to eat more green light foods than yellow light foods? Am I willing to try 30 and 30? Am I willing to do something simple for myself like walk? Am I willing to do, am I willing to drink water, you know? Am I willing to like continuously focus on my step work? And I can say yes to all those. And when I am in that space, I'm okay. I feel good. And I'm back in that space of joy and serenity around food and body today. And it is a daily reprieve. And I get that. 
I get that now. And, um, and it's such a gift. Like, that's where I'm at today. And I'm excited to uh, finish doing my Step 12 and then turn it over and, um, and to continue helping other men through this program. I think I have uh, two or three sponsees right now that I know about. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but uh, but uh, helping the sponsees and helping other people get through the steps is, like, really one of the biggest gifts of this program. And, it, like, it helps me more than it helps them probably. It really does. So I guess I'll stop there because I feel like I'm rambling now. Let's see if we have any questions. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Any questions? Thank you for the question. What is my meditation practice? I have a daily routine. It consists of um, waking up and before I open um, the gram or the book <laughs> or the YouTube, I try to uh, open up the for today. And um, I try and I do it very imperfectly. I do all of this very imperfectly. And I need to remind myself of that. Um, the only thing I've done perfectly in this program is I've uh, abstained from binging. I've, I've gone to the rooms, but I've abstained from binging, grazing, and I don't eat um, recreational sugar. But uh, my morning routine is is that I open up the floor today, I meditate on that for five minutes, and then I get on my knees and pray. And then I do my little thing like sending my food to my sponsor. It works. Thanks, Rashad. Um, do you have a meal plan? And if you do, has it changed from when you first started to where it is now? I know you mentioned that you don't that it didn't work for you to count. I think you said to count calories and weigh and measure, right? I think you said that. But, uh -huh. but do you? Yeah. I wrote, uh, so the question is basically, what does my food plan look like? And I wrote this down recently to kind of describe that because I had a feeling it was going to come up. We'll see if I can uh, pull it up or not. <coughs> but, um, yeah, I have a food plan. It's three meals a day and two optional snacks. I got that out of the newcomer's packet. Um, but the way I would describe my food plan is it's, uh, it's self-selected. It's intuition-driven. It's guided by the experience of my sponsor and the education of my nutritionist. And I work my food plan imperfectly one day at a time by the grace of God. Any other questions? I got a quick one. Uh, what does turning it over mean? Turning it over uh, means, for me, turning it over is I am continuously trying to do something and it's not working, right? I'm trying to force my way into a new career or a new job and, I'm, and the doors are not opening. So I have a choice at that point. I can stay in the pain, I can stay in the suffering, or I can say, God, I'm turning over this decision, I'm turning over this career to you. And I can start to open my mouth and share about it in the meetings. And what happens is, is usually I start to get the signals. I get the signals, I'm tuned into the right channel, I hear that, I see that, thank you. I start to hear things in stereo without having to pull people for an answer, and I'm, I'm guided, and it works out. Everything works out. So that's what it means to turn it over, in my opinion. Thanks for letting me share.